This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal Street Grips. For comfort, durability, and grip diameter options, Renthal Street has a grip for everyone. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Renthal Street. Check out renthal.com for fit my bike options on chains, sprockets, handlebars and lots of other parts for your motorcycle. On today's podcast we're going to look back at the opening round of the 2023 World Superbike season. Myself, Steve English and the esteemed journalist Gordon Ritchie. Well you're esteemed by some Gordo, you're esteemed by some. I'm certainly esteemed in this country, jeez oh. Yeah. Recording this on the Thursday in Indonesia. It's been a bit of a trial to get ourselves to Indonesia. Similar to last year Gordo uh, illness travel hassles change schedules you name it Lombok is not the easiest place in the world to get to and last year especially leave from because uh, yeah it's a small island um, and the, the airlines in this country everything about Indonesia I think is great I love the place but the airlines the schedule and the, the last minute changes the sudden changes of gate and all that I've not been anywhere where you get quite as much of that so yeah it, it's been a wee bit of a we hope to do this earlier but believe me you me it was between Steve being not well and us having different travel schedules and things being delayed and flights being delayed it's uh, yeah Thursday and here we are we should have been done this on Monday it just didn't happen yeah nice trips to the hospital with a 101 temperature for me yeah. and then uh, the delays getting here but at least We've got round one in the books now, Gordo, and uh, it was good to get back to work, good to get back to seeing some racing. Obviously, it ended up being a bit of a Ducati red wash, but there was still plenty to pick through from the opening week. Yeah, I mean, I think we did all end up with a slightly surprised table after round one. We, you know, there's a few names there that it's not outrageous that they are where they are, but it's, it's more some of the top riders not being where they should be. Um, and certainly not in terms of the points that they got. Um, well, I think everybody expected Bautista to start strongly. Um, his testing's gone immaculately. Yeah, I mean, he was obviously going to be a force. He didn't quite win Super Bowl basically because of traffic, as far as I could see. But in every other regard, yeah, his race pace, every, and everybody knew it. His race pace was just better than everyone else. Yeah, the two days of testing, it painted the picture of exactly what we were going to get. Obviously, when we had the rain, there's a little bit of an expectation that something could have happened. Obviously, though, Gordo, the biggest story of the day, the happiest man in Australia on Saturday, none other than yourself, two Scotsmen inside the top five, one on the podium in the Supersport race. Well, I mean, I'm a journalist. I don't have favourites. I just don't. It's, it's part of the job. However, it wasn't the worst thing for me as a human being to see those two guys performing well. And I think the world got an absolute treat seeing John McPhee on a bike that hasn't, he's not got all the modern stuff that the other Kawasaki's have got, their team haven't got it to work properly, testing was a nightmare, it's all been a bit of a terrible thing. And then he, he finished his third, just because of the weather conditions changing, because he's a great, great rider. He's won four, you know, more three races, three, yeah. and, you know, and been a top guy, signed there for years, rode for there for years. When he came here, it was all a big question mark. Well, in terms of his talent, in terms of his ability to, 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 that's the first time he'd raced and ridden in the rain on that bike and he gets a podium. I mean, fantastic. And Mackenzie, absolutely, you know, from what we can see, nearly a superstar bike, taking on the best 600 riders in the world and a Honda, which hasn't been back in the championship for years. And all of a sudden, again, <coughs> just because of conditions and riding skill, he gets himself into the top five. So, you know, I'm sitting in the media centre looking around and, and, you know, thinking, wow, I can't remember this. I mean, Ian McPherson used to score pretty strongly. Kev Coughlin did well in some of the other classes. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, 
you know, there's not a huge race in Cedar Scotland and there's not a huge amount of people. So to see two guys that are still in it getting in the top five and their first ever races in the class on bikes that weren't ready, it was, yeah, it was, I think it was special for anybody. It was an amazing, it was a quite amazing result. No, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Certainly not them and their teams. So, yeah, it was just a, a great way to start the season. It was an absolute firework. And um, no, no, but I don't think it's a necessarily Scottish thing as well. I think anybody could see that. Wow, look, you know, those guys were absolutely the last two qualified, and look at where they finished. Yeah, you've done a good job there, Gordo, to just about hide the Scottish flag there. But uh, you know, it's also we all we all have people that we look down on the timesheets as well. You're very objective when you're writing and when you're doing your job, but there is always the the element yeah. of a good story like that, and it was certainly yeah. a good story all the way through. I, and we're all human beings, you know. You can't help but get on with one person better than another person. There's almost no rider I don't get on with because I try and be honest with them and I'm fair with them and that. But, you know, there are always some people you just, as a human being, get on better with. A little bit of news for World Superbikes as well. The 12th round confirmed. We're going back to Imola in the middle of July. Fantastic. I mean, Imola is old school and there are some negatives to that. We have to bear that in mind. It's not the safest racetrack in the world um, and the bikes are awful fast now. But they've made some safety improvements, etc. They said that there would be no more two-wheel stuff in Imola and the, that would be kept for Mizano because it's the same basic government, local area, administration, whatever, that looks after Imola and Mizano. And they basically said two wheels in Mizano, which is a great track, you all love it, and four wheels in Imola. And partly because of safety and everything else. And now we're finally were able to go back again to one of the best racetracks, layouts, excitement, fans, locations you can imagine. They just need a lot of bulldozers and people to say, yeah, yeah, you can take my garden away and all that and we'll be able to get a mobile runoff. But it's, if you've never been to it's magnificent. It's, it's, it's just operatic. It's wonderful to see people going fast around there. Great gelato as well. So that's obviously an important part. Gelato of pizza. You, you know, you stop me when you get bored. It's the best cuisine in Italy. Imola genuinely has got three or four of the best restaurants in Italy. Um, all the people I know that live there, and I do know a few Imola's people, and they will tell you quite happily. So you're in the best cuisine area of Italy, and you're in the one of the towns in Italy, which is most highly renowned for high quality restaurants as well not that we can afford to eat there Steve we have to just go to local pieces but no something about that part of Italy is magnificent and Imola is a wonderful ancient old town as well it's just an interesting place it is like racing um, whatever your touchstones are it's like racing through Central Park in New York or Hyde Park in London um, it's that kind of level of, of there are literally houses at the side of the track it's kind of like the TT it's such a strange place and you don't know that until you go out for a few laps like walk around it's an amazing place yeah first half the lap quite open then you come to Toza and suddenly it all closes in on top yeah. of you you come up to the top of the hill and yeah. uh, then it all drops away it's a it's a great place to go and it's also a great time to go we've got Ducati having won World, World SBK last year MotoGP they've announced it pretty much the day after Ducati won all three races in the Superbike class, both races in the Supersport class. I think they won both races in the Aussie Superbike Championship as well. So it was a pretty good weekend yeah. for, um, for them in Australia. The red guys were just on fire. I mean, they were absolutely... you know, it, it, And I do believe there must have been a lot of background push from Ducati because that's their, literally their closest track. You know, it's their backyard and they haven't been able to go there. And I've see I've got mixed feelings about Emily, you know, because it's you know in the reality with my hard headed reality hat on, 
But as long as they keep making improvements to it and more runoff and, and more safety things and, and so on, then okay, fine. But it's definitely one of those ones that you're on a wee, a wee bit on the edge. Yeah, any circuit that keeps getting Formula One races again now gives them a reason to keep pushing for more and more yeah. at the track as well. So that's a good thing. But going back to Australia then, Gordo, we'll have a quick chat about Bautista. But even though he won all three races, qualified in the front row of the grid, he probably wasn't the most interesting Ducati story from the weekend. No, there was a lot more uh, pe- moving and shaking going on. Um, a lot of people that, that struggled in testing um, as they were making the transition from their previous bike to the 2023, which they're all on now, we believe. Everybody's on full 2023 bikes. Um, they came good when it counted. You know, Bassani wasn't happy in Portimao testing. I spoke to him there and he was really not enamoured with a new bike. Um, and so, and again, they changed the background of his team a bit. Um but when you look at some of the performances from Otto, Ronaldi has turned out to be the rider that he could have been all along. He was easily the next best guy. Um, he had a terrible weight race, but that was obviously set up. They just went somewhere badly wrong. He was 55 seconds or something behind in the weight race, and he's usually fairly handy in the weight. So the, he knew and he said that they obviously just did something way wrong. Just about that, Gordo, as well. Like Immediately after you have a result like this, particularly in race one, Bassani's up inside the top five. Like I had a look at Reddit, Twitter, whatever it would be, and people are just piling on to Ronaldo. Ducati's made the big mistake. He was under pressure going into Sunday. Yes, no, absolutely. But he's been under pressure for a good couple of years. Um, what he did this year is change his training regime and more importantly, his mentality. All the Italian journalists have said he's a different person now. He's, he's kind of turned a corner in that, taking things seriously or seriously enough. He always did the training and the working on it. But now he's got this incredible Spartan regime where he's up at, you know, five in the morning and he's out and he's taking ice baths and doing all the, the, the crazy stuff. That is the same as Batista's. He's got Batista's trainer on board. So it's now a kind of joint Ducati thing. And instantly we see it, but it's psychological. Racing is always psychological. That's what makes people better than other people. It's mental strength, call it what you will. Yeah, for Ronaldo, he's talked a lot about Davizioso taking him under the wing. Yeah. Obviously, Davi's manager is Bautista's manager. There's a lot of crossover there. Yeah. And uh, for Ronaldo, it's made a big difference. I was actually out for a run in Australia on the Monday, just before the test, six o'clock in the morning. Alvaro blasts past me. I come back to the back to the apartment and I see Ronaldo just heading out. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, oh, Michael's just going for a cup of coffee. He had already been up for an hour in training. And, uh, you know, it just the work you put in gives you the results. Obviously, it helps when you've got the Ducati, but you also need to be able to make it work and get the results. And I think the thing for Michael, from what he said to us, he spoke at great length about it in his interview um, on Sunday, um, is that it's, it's that physical thing is what's helping him create the mental thing. What he now, he's now putting in so much hard work he then has to think about well how can I make all this pay off I'm not doing all this work to finish it so he's maybe thinking about his riding and his setup and his and and his mentality to not worry that about anybody else all those things that, that any winning rider has to really have in the armory um, and you can see it it's almost like it's not instant growth it's been happening for a couple of years but it was a massive step change and you saw what he did on Sunday he, all that pressure and he came back and he got the results he was expected to um, you know it, it was very impressive and it's not because he said good results before and then bad ones good results bad ones maybe and again we'll find out soon maybe this is the he's going to be consistently in that top last year's top three might be this year's top four and as we saw on the weekend it might be even more than that 
just for Ronaldo as well, it was interesting in the build-up that all the way through the winter, top five in all the tests. He was strong in Phillip Island in dry tests. Obviously, it went wrong for him in the race on Saturday. But all the way through the week, he was talking in terms of, my goal for this year is to be in contention for the championship yeah. until those final couple of rounds. You know, that's not to say he's expecting to win the championship. Obviously, Alvaro has shown how strong and consistent he is. So for Ronaldo, the target is just to make sure mathematically you're still there, thereabouts, because that's him doing his job. And uh, he's obviously made a good step over the winter. I thought Sunday was super impressive. Obviously, we saw in race two in particular, Ducati had four bikes inside the top five. So that's the bike to be on on Sunday. But Ronaldo had a good gap to the other riders. And that's going to be the big battle for him all the way through this season. You've got Bissani and Petrucci in particular. Ertl did very well in Australia. Whether he can hold that form going into the next number of rounds remains to be seen. But he made a good step forward. But you have to think that for Ronaldo, he's in a scrap with the two Italians for that second seat next year. Round one, he picks up the win. Ronaldo's been in that factory team for a while now and now he has to, to, to maintain that position, he really has to uh, split the last year's top three at least to me. That, that's what keeps him his ride. And if other people don't show the forum, then maybe he'll be kept on for that reason anyway. And Well, if you've got Alvaro, let's presume he wins the championship this year, then Ducati's free to bring another rider in for the future from MotoGP because that might be their next move. Or poach someone from one of the other teams that's shown to be there. Um, but I think the idea we had of the top three and everybody else, and Australia is difficult, it's such a weird racetrack and everything else, so let's not get carried away. But there was a few things that happened that were built on a growth over the winter from a few riders that make you think, you know what, maybe, and, uh, you know, Locatelli, for example, who's setting the World Championship right now, Locatelli. And you mentioned Gordo there about Locatelli making his step forward. Obviously, second in the World Championship. It's uh, been a good start for Locke. Three finishes inside the top five. This is the progress that he needed to make. Yes. And the second half of the last season, we did see a lot of progress from Locke, where he was faster than he had been as a rookie. He was closer and closer to the front. But to have a weekend like this, it was critical for him. Yeah, it was. Um, and it showed that his setup's good because obviously tyres are very important when you get to Phillip Island. Uh, his mentality's always been very strong, but he's maybe one of those riders that overthinks things a bit too much. They have clearly got found a, a, a nice little gold nugget of setup at the minute. If they can ride that all, week, all year, on more or less where they are, with that confidence boost at the start, then Locatelli again could be one of the ones to, to the, the, the favourite to split the big three from last year. Um, so yeah, there's an element of, of him being where he is because of what happened with other top riders. So let's not forget that. But again, when you look at it, strong, impressive, on the podium, scoring points, and he didn't have a great qualifying. You know, he, he was very fast in practice and testing, but then he didn't have, just didn't have to have a great grid position to start off. That's always a sign as well when somebody can come through on the other best riders in the world and get himself in a position to finish second. You mentioned as well, Phillip Island. It's very easy, too easy to read too much into round yeah. one. But I think race two in particular, let's just go back to Bassani and Ertl in that big scrap for fourth. They obviously lost the top three very early in the race and it just became a dogfight all the way through. But we saw in the, say the last third of the race, the Ducatis just had more grip. We saw Ray really struggling to keep the Kawasaki and then suddenly dropped his pace right at the end, fell down to eighth place. 
But we saw that Ertl and Bassani able to really just come through. What have we said for ages? The Ducati is the best bike in this championship. We've had the Honda coming in since it was a, since it arrived. We would upgrades and up changes in other bikes. We've had the M BMW. We've had lots of little things coming on. We've had a world champion on the R1 and, and top rack in 2021. But the best bike in this championship, when you get it working, is the Ducati. Because it's faster than everything else. Because it's a V4 and it makes its power well. Because it revs higher, naturally, so it's allowed to rev higher in racing. It's a correlation now. If you, your bike revs X amount on the road, it's allowed to rev X amount plus a few percent on the racetrack. That's how it works. They've already been taken back 250 revs from when that bike first arrived because it was already too fast. But it's still miles ahead of everybody else on the revs because that's the way things are. That's the way Ducati decided to do it. When your bike's working properly, it's the best bike on the track. Alvaro's come back with all the initial problems of that bike that eventually caught him and Ducati out as well as the human problems that they ended up having and falling apart in, in 19. Um, and now that bike is, has... One, he complains about one thing on that bike, basically. Well, two. One, about stability under braking. And the other thing is his ability to change direction mid-corner. It seems like a heavy bike. But he also says maybe that's just because he's so light himself. His moving his body weight has less of an effect than it would have done, for example, Scott Redding, because he was a factory rider. So it was easier for him for Redding. But he also complained about it. That's it. He isn't complaining about a single thing on the bike anymore except that that one and a half things, let's say. And uh, saying a little bit about mid-corner, obviously struggling, but he's just able to use the power on the exit, and this is his big strength. And we saw that again, exit of Siberia, turn six. He's just able to get the bike upright and use the power really well. Yeah. The new engine character really helping that. And I thought it was obviously key for the other Ducati riders that we saw this as well because Rinaldi second, Bassani fourth, Ertl in fifth in race two. It's a pretty good indicator that all of them are working well. But obviously, one of the interesting storylines in, in Australia was Danilo Petrucci. It didn't work well. But we saw that the Barney team yeah. threw the kitchen sink at the bike. They changed the wheelbase by, I think it was 15 mil. You know, they were making big changes to that bike and they have to adapt it in a big way to, to suit Petrucci. He's so much bigger than the other guys. And it's going to take him time until he feels really comfortable out there and knows what to expect from the Pirellis, from the championship, from the structure of a weekend, all those things. Yes, and he also said on the weekend that the, the issue he has now that they have to try and find a way around is because they've changed the relationship between the where the fuel is, where the rear subframe is on the latest version of that bike, he can't put the seat unit any lower down. He wants to go lower down so that his body is sitting more inside the bike. And the minute he says he feels like he's sitting with his head, he, he, he's the top of his head facing the front of the track all the time rather than his face. And he's trying to get himself, be able to get his, his backside down a bit. But there's no room to go anywhere. Because the 2023 bike was changed in such a way, he, he can't physically go down. There's fuel there. So the, there's a fuel tank and a couple other things underneath the seat now. So he, he cannot go down any further. So that's something he's going to have to get used to, find a way around. Maybe have to raise the front, which you don't want to do. You want to go down the front so you can have a small frontal area. So there's something that uniquely to him is... is, is said is a bit of an issue um, but Bassani's not particularly short um, you know it's the, but because he's so big I think that's the problem he needs to get in more 
top ten more. Obviously, in the wet race on Saturday, there was an expectation that even though he hasn't had any experience with Pirelli tyres, we're used to seeing Petrucci so strong in the wet. But he struggled a little bit with the setting. Obviously, he has to gain that experience and the confidence. Yeah, yeah he's only he's still quite fresh out the wrapper on this bike, really. You know, I mean, he raced one in America, but it wasn't the same bike, and it wasn't the same level, and it's not the same racetracks. So it's not a, you know, I mean, everything's different in America um, for what he was doing. So. No, he'll, he'll come good, and I don't think he was that bad. I mean, he's already he's still top nine in a year. When you look at the name, the names behind them, it's quite amazing. So, as I've said already, there's very many really good riders that won't score points this year, and they won't have a disaster of a weekend. They'll just get beat by fourteen other faster riders. This is one of the things we talked about during the test, actually, Gordo. Just looking at the timesheets, who's in eighteenth place? Yeah. And it's a world champion. It's a, you know, a national champion, a Grand Prix winner. It could be anyone this year. And I think that's what makes World SBK really interesting. All the sessions through the weekend, I was keeping an eye on it. And you had, obviously, Tom Sykes had a miserable weekend. Yeah. He was then 19th spot for most of the week. But again, that just shows you how strong the field is. Yeah, no, this is, I've been coming here, I, th- I think, and my maths is always a bit suspect. But I think this is my 25th year full-time in this championship. And I don't know if I've seen a, a greater strength and depth in the championship in all that time. And it's very easy to get excited pre-season, any season. Oh, the talent's amazing. But when you look at it and look at the, the, the championship now, you know, Van der Mark is 16th. Alex Lowe's is 15th. You know, these guys have all won races. The Suzuki Air winners, etc., in the championship already, you, you mean the weakest riding lineup? I, I don't know. You know what's the weakest riding lineup? Put the two teams, the factory teams or the satellite teams together, and tell me that this pairing is weaker than that pairing. No, no. I think no matter what you look at it, it's, it's, it's this might be the best year. Oh, that that was one of the most telling quotes that I saw from the weekend. Evo from Speedweek talking to the owner of the Bonovo team, and he was just saying that. BMW's got four riders that are all capable of winning races, finishing on the podiums. There's nowhere for BMW to hide now. No. They they can't have an issue with the riders. They need to just make the steps with the bike. And I thought that was a good indication of just what you're saying there, Gordo. We're going to take a quick break on the pod. And when we come back, we're going to dive into probably the biggest story of the weekend, really. The struggles for Top Rack and Jonathan Ray, two riders obviously expected to be title contenders. But the opening round didn't go according to plan. So we'll take a quick break. Renthal Street Clip-On Handlebars are premium race-spec clip-ons available in nine different options, two different offsets, and six different diameters, all developed in collaboration with top-level race teams. Use the Fit My Bike tool on renthal.com to find the correct fitment for your bike. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Renthal Street. And Gordo, we were just saying before the break, not the weekend that was expected from Top Racker Jonathan Ray. Top Rack struggled all the way through the test, didn't look happy. When push came to shove and he was able to put the soft tire in, came up with the goods in the Super Bowl session to take a pole position. But for the rest of the weekend, just looked like he had missed that step on everyone else. Wet weather podium was good to see from him. He had a podium in the Super Bowl race, but then obviously a bit unlucky in race two with that crash where Alex Lowe's bike just takes him out. And, you know, for top rack, you'd have to say, if he hadn't been able to finish that race, let's say he finishes top five, top six, the championship looks a little bit better, yeah. but Australia isn't a track that suits Top Rack. 
and the weekend played out that way. Yeah, I mean, every track says top rack when it's all working, um, but he does it, he's not particularly good there. It's not his favourite place, it's not one of his, his places that's a natural. There's no great big, really heavy braking areas, you know, down to nothing, which is better than anybody else. Um, he, yeah, I think it's a, obviously it's a bit artificial because of what happened in the second race, but he, I mean, he was toiling in that group to be where he was, and he said he was, and they could get a tire to work. Seems obvious that from what Top Rack said, Locatelli is making better use of the new swing arm. Um, they've got a new swing arm, and maybe you know it, it, Top Rack doesn't like it. Um, so that's a problem. You know, it should be better, and probably every other Yamaha thinks it's better. Rider thinks it's better. Maybe Top Rack thinks it's worse. That's one of those situations in the winter. Top Rack talked a lot about picking it up from slow corners. He felt the swing arm helped him with that acceleration grip. Phillip Island doesn't have any slow corners, yeah. so maybe that's going to be the difference when they get there. But Locatelli did fine, you know, and looked solid all the time. Um, Top Rack is, is, it doesn't have bad days as such, but I think he probably did have a bad race. And you have to be in the, me- in the mix to end up getting taken out by someone else. He should have been like he was in the other two races, like a bit further away from him all. So that showed how, how difficult it was for him. And that was exactly the same with Jonathan. He, why is Jonathan down and among those guys? He should be out the front. Just looking at Johnny, because this was the bigger story for me. When he gets knocked out in the Super Bowl race by Agador, I think he went down to ninth or 10th position yeah. at that stage. We're used to seeing him cut through the group. Yes. And he couldn't do that. Yeah, he said he said that he had a faster pace than the guys in front of him, but he could not get past them. And when you have Jonathan Ray, a six-time champion, and a, the you know a mega passer, whether it's the brakes, the middle of a corner, there's lots of places in Australia where Johnny Ray on a bike that's, that's working well would just go around the outside of somebody or up the inside of somebody in Siberia, go up the road, up the hill, and you turn in the non-conventional passing places. You know, the, the bottom, you can do it on the brakes at the bottom of MG. There's three or four braking passing places in, in Phillip Island. But Johnny, we've seen in many and often, passing people in places you can not imagine, and he just couldn't do it. I think this was probably even more interesting whenever at the front of that group in the Super Bowl race, we had Alex Lowe's, riding the defensive race of his life just to hold on to yeah, fourth yeah, yeah. and I think this was one of those clear times when you see the Kawasaki's not the bike it used to be they've made changes in the winter the bike has got different technology on it and a, few, a little bit different engine specification probably a few geometry updates as well they, they, they don't tell you everything they, they won't tell you everything what they do um, but certainly first time out in a real race situation that didn't look good for either of them that was that is a worry. If Johnny had a bad weekend, or and Alex was doing well, or vice versa, but both of them were quite clearly toiling, and that's unusual. That's very unusual. Kawasaki normally get all their eggs in the basket, the correct eggs, correct basket, and then go for the season. That did look not right, and Johnny even said there's something not right. Um, Alex was obviously saying, you know, this is not what he expected to have. He hadn't a great winter test. Um, so they've got all these new things normally they derive from a winter test with everything working perfectly and then they would go to the first round and have success whatever that would be podiums or whatever um, no no they will, that, that whole thing looked a bit off if it's literally a, oh dear our set up direction's wrong let's go back and you can fix it but they've now got a slightly better engine and everything else then maybe you know we'll see but we will find out on Sunday here if they're in trouble real trouble or not, but they were definitely in trouble in Phillip Island. Yeah, and we saw it in race two as well. 
for the two thirds of the race, that massive scrap it must have been a ten rider scrap at one stage, and it was great battle all the way through. But we saw turn one was the only place where the Kawasaki was really working well, and they had to make their moves into T one. Yeah, yeah. They had to stay in front into T one. The second Bassani got through on Ray into one and able to keep the lead through too. We saw him immediately gap yeah, Johnny. And uh, this is the thing that's going to be really worrying for Kawasaki. Yeah, and Johnny had no grip left on his tyre. So again, that's a set-up thing, usually. Um, and you saw him looking like he might finish in the top five and he ended up finishing eighth. I mean, that's just not Johnny. Johnny would be able to fight through a problem. He'd keep the people behind even if he had to bring every last element of skill and experience he's got. But even he could do, it shows you how badly his tyre had gone off. And again, the Philip Island, when you're that guy and that team, something's wrong. Because it's, you know, that, that sh- he should still be able to defend his position to the end. Yeah, obviously on Sunday, it was a case of finishing seventh, taking advantage of the two GRT Yamahas retiring in front of him in the Super Bowl race, and then eighth in the race too. And that was his, that was his pace on merit. That's where he should have been. And I think that's the biggest worry for them. And that's two problems. When he said in the Super Bowl race that in a big scrap, 10 laps, the tyre's not really the issue. He couldn't get past other people even though he felt he could lap faster than him in a single lap. So that's one issue. That's a front-end thing. That's a not being able to pass and get by people thing. And also power coming out towards the, the, the brake. Powering to go past them before the braking's on. So that's one issue. But the other one was why his back tyre went, you know, especially towards the end and lost so many places at the end. It was, I mean, it was kind of shocking to see, I think. Uh, you don't see Johnny like that. No, and it was interesting that we saw so many other riders able to make moves. We saw Tommy Aguilar very aggressive in the Super yeah. Bowl race, race two as well. And Tommy got Johnny on the last lap into MG. And again, Johnny was just a sitting duck. But really good stuff from Aguilar over the course of this weekend, a front row in the Super Bowl session. Obviously, gets his elbows out all the way through the races. There was a big question about how he'd adapt to a superbike. And double super sport world champion looked pretty good out there. Yeah, no, he was one of... Uh, there was a lot of good rookies uh, that showed quite well, even if only in one of the races um, in Australia, which was great to see. I don't think we're going to have a great problem with him with pace. What he needs is experience. If he finishes in his potential, his, the speed he can show... If he could do that all year, then it's a fantastic debut season he's going to have. But he's probably going to be a bit up and down because he's a rookie. He's still learning. He's still understanding how things are. Yeah, here in Indonesia is going to be a good test. We don't have the two-day test in advance. And I thought uh, Philip Ertel, I was surprised by his answer whenever I asked him on Tuesday, does it help to have the two-day test? And Ertel said, no, because everyone else has it as well and everyone's able to make the step. But clearly in Australia, there were some riders that had that step in the test and they kept it through the weekend. Here in Indonesia, we're going to have changeable conditions. It's going to be a much more standardized superbike weekend. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. What did you make of Remy Gardner on his debut weekend? Uh, Good and bad. Um, I think, you know, it's his home track. As he said to me beforehand, he hasn't ridden it more than most people because he went to race in Europe very quickly as a young rider. So he, it's not like he's got some special, you know, 20 years of racing in Australia thing. Um, he was he was running incredibly well in one of the races and ended, just ended up making a bit of a mistake and, um, and taking his teammate out, which is obviously slightly embarrassing. But his pace was there. As he said to me, he said, my pace is there. And it's true. He's, he was running right up the front with the readers. You've heard me say many times, there's no reason why a MotoGP rider, with the training they have, with the experience we have, he's a Moto2 world champion. 
And if he'd been on a different bike in Moto Two, uh, Moto GP last year, maybe things would have been different for him. But he, he's here now because that you know he didn't have a very happy season. That, but he's used to he used to a bike with much more power, carbon brakes, all that. So coming to a super bike is coming down in terms of the oh my god human challenge kind of thing of oh it's so fast whatever. So you get used to the tyres, everything else. The interesting thing he said was even though he said his pace is good, he said I haven't got my head anywhere near around a, a super bike yet. He says, I'm still learning it completely because to me it's as if he's jumped on it and thought, okay, here we go. He disagreed fundamentally. So Remy Gardner, having learned a lot more about his bike in the World Superbike, if, if that is true, if what he thinks is, turns out to be, then he's going to be a proper force much sooner or later. We'll see how it turns out. Cordo, I'm going to give you a choice. Well, Who do you want to talk about, Honda or BMW? Uh, I think we can talk about Honda by saying expected a lot more. Don't know why we didn't get a lot more. But I think we should concentrate on BMW. I think it's a more interesting thing because they've got a new bike. Obviously, with BMW, we saw in the wet race on Saturday, Van der Mark had a massive crash. And at least this time, he was able to walk away from it. Last year, we saw two big crashes for Mikey and he wasn't able to walk away from them. And at least on Sunday, he came back and he was the top BMW rider. He's not top of BMW in the championship standings, but he laid down a marker to the other BMW riders in Australia, it's going to be interesting to see if this weekend that holds true. Yeah, it's um, we know the talent that Mike has got. Um, it's such a horrible year last year, but when you're a rider like him and you get to that level, that generally makes you a bit stronger, tougher, more more determined to show what you can do. So it will be interesting to see. I think the limiting factor for other BMW riders is the bike because it's still not quite a hundred percent. I maintain that 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 the ability to win races, at least win races is inside that bike. It might be a little bit too extreme because BMW are unfortunately well known for that, of just tuning the thing to the heavens and then trying to work it out behind that. Probably that's not the way. Um, well, we know it's not the way. It's been proved in this championship before. Um, and remember, it's not a V4 where you can have the big cylinder bore and a high-revving engine and, and it still works because of the way the engine fires. It's a four-cylinder. It's a screamer four-cylinder. Um, so it's a new bike, got new new bits of bodywork on it, and I'm sure all that helps. Um, it looks very strange. It kind of looks like from the front of that Aprilia and MotoGP. It's very similar <laughs> with a great big wing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I admire all the aero stuff and, and the change, and obviously the people behind it all are determined to succeed, but there's something still missing, and it might be, it might be electronics, because they do their own electronics. Um, it might be the car thing. They're still relying too much on cars theory and algorithms and again it's going for too much power it's a high revving bike low inertia bike I think it's a tricky bike to ride and even riders like Reading, Landemark and everybody else struggles maybe they need to go and chop 10 horsepower off the top and give it more of a mid-range and it'd be a much better motorcycle that's always something Tom Sykes said about the bike he was happier when it was underpowered and Philip Island he still holds the lap record from 2020 at the track as well so maybe there's a bit of something in that I thought Sunday was interesting that race two, Van der Mark was 10 seconds up the road from the other BMW riders at one stage, mm-hmm. but he said that he couldn't attack. He, it, like Johnny, he was struggling with the tyre and then eventually had to drop back. But when we saw the other three BMW riders, they were in a proper battle, all within a half a second yeah. of each other, yeah. scrapping it out for, at the time, yeah. 15th in the final points paying position. Like Obviously, we've got a very deep field. We talked about it already, but BMW aren't spending this money 
to be scrapping for a point. No, there, there has to be a fundamental uh, re-evaluation of this now we've seen the results of the first race. And maybe they'll do it after three months. But there, there's definitely something... The bike produces power. The bike is, is a long history here. It's the team behind it will have experience. Germany's, the guys in Germany looking after the pure engineering side have a lot of experience now. And it's still not cutting it. They have got... Three of the four riders are multiple world superbike race winners. The other guy is a proven podium winner. Um, and they're still quite clearly struggling. You know, the Honda guys are still second, one year out of being rookies. So the Honda is obviously, to me, working slightly better than the BMW because, you know, if you put two of those guys on the Honda, maybe the results would improve straight away. Who knows? I was chatting to a couple of riders about the Honda and I was talking in terms of the potential the bike has and the things that it does well. And a couple of riders said, we've been talking about the potential half bike for yeah. three years now. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is a case of for Honda, they need to make that step. Obviously, they've got Lecuona will be expected to stay with Honda to be their lead rider. Xavi Vieira is going to be under pressure. And uh, Philip Island, obviously, in the races, he was able to, to come through a little bit. But uh, when you're qualifying 17th and it's a wet weather race that he gets his top 10 finish, it did look again that his teammate just had that step on him. Yeah, um, and um, that's not in any way criticizing the guy. I think he's, he's he's handled the challenge that he's been faced with here in a very different world championship from the one he's used to very well. He's a lovely guy. He's, he works hard. You can see how pro he is. Um, but results have got to change for both of those guys to stay. Uh, I think it's quite clear that double rookie gamble last year made some sense, but this year, to me, doesn't. Um, but we'll see. But as you say, the trouble is that it's like the... the you know, the sun's just over the horizon for Honda. They're working hard. They've made a massive change last year. I can't tell you how big a change they made in the chassis setup. And, you know, they basically changed the 35, 38-year-old rule, whatever it was, however old this championship is now, changed a rule that has never, ever been allowed to do. You cannot mess about with the chassis as much as they have. And they've been allowed, literally allowed to do that. And it, to me, if that was the, the, the panacea instantly... Then it would have worked first time out. It would have worked in winter test and everything else. Maybe it will. Maybe six rounds into the championship, we'll be going, all right, okay, that's what they did. But they already raced that bike twice last year like that, more or less like that. Now they've refined it a winter to refine it. And it didn't look like a jump forward to me. It didn't look like a leap. I have to say that the Hareth test, it did. And uh, Vieira looked really good at that test. But also we know that Javi can be really good at four or five tracks. So that's where it becomes really key to see when we get back to Europe, when we get to, uh, to Assen and Honda will have had, I think they've got a test lined up in Aragon and Catalonia. And then there's a mid-May test in Mizano as well. So they're going to use as many of their 15 days as possible. Yes. And then it becomes really key to see the progress. Yeah, but I, I think the problem is that if they had made progress, it would be at every track. When, you're, when you've made progress with the setup of your bike or the performance of your bike, and the ability to turn that performance into uh, a race-long setup, you see improvements in every single race track. So if it went well at Jerez, fantastic. But no if it's not going, if it's not, and we don't even race there. But if we, if it's not translated instantly to the same level of improvement, then maybe not. It, it's maybe that was just a good setup day. Maybe that was a, a rider thing. Maybe I, you, you said exactly right there. It's been a long time since we've been talking about the potential of this bike. It's been around a while. They had the big changes last year. 
completely changed the rule book to get to do it, and it's still not quite happening. So, what's the problem? We'll be talking about this all year, I think, which is fine, but we want Honda to stay for a long term. We want Honda to be successful. I want everybody to have a turn to be successful. You know, somebody somewhere eventually is going to look at that and go, hmm, really? We're spending what? And we've still not what, a couple of podiums and stuff? Mm. So there has to be a, a leap forward in that thing for the long-term project of that in, in World Superbike Championship. And Gordo, speaking of big leaps forward, we saw that in the Supersport class with Ducati finally race winners again. Nicola Bulaga doing the double. His first race wins since he was in the CEV Moto3 class probably, what, eight years ago? Yeah, no, it was amazing. It was amazing how kind of assured he was in them. He had a bit of a scrap and he, you could say there was an Elmer Luck in one of them because of the red flag that got thrown. But he still looked pretty good for that, you know. Uh, they've obviously got the set up with a bike nailed now. Um, and obviously he's gone away thinking, after last year, he's looking at the whole thing thinking, well, oh, that, never won it, never quite won a race. No one won a race on Ducati. Hmm. And this year they turn up, obviously, just to, to got a more refined and, and more similar. But I think maybe that's more to do with the rider of, you know, I have to do this now. He's gone away in the winter and we look at it in the mirror and I look at the, the rest of them and thought, right, I need to go. But it was dead impressive to see him winning both races. I mean, fair enough. What did you make of Supersport, though, with the, I think we had three race restarts? Yeah. Yeah. Slightly mad. And, and on shoes... You know, should be a contender for the championship here. First race, no no score. Falls off in the wet in the second lap. I like how he blamed it on Safoglu as well. And then his team, you know, his countrymen coming around, unsighted, he doesn't see the bike and smashes into him and that's it and he's out of the race. Very bizarre. I mean, it was a bit of a... It was verging on the farcical at times with the riders stopping, putting their hands up again. You know, yeah, safety first, safety first, safety first. I'm the first guy that does that, right? But... Yeah, that was all a bit comical. And I mean, we normally never get to the stage of the superbike race being delayed. If things are going to get that bad, they'll pull it and run it after. And with only two classes in the World Championship, they could have done that. So it's very unusual that they, they, they actually... We started, uh, I think, quarter an hour late for the superbike race with the TV schedules around the world. Maybe they could because it was in Australia and, and nobody's going to be watching it live. 15-minute delay is not a big deal. But yeah, what did I make of it? I, I wasn't... Yeah. I mean, okay, there's a lot of weird circumstances in the change of weather, but no, we should be a bit better than this, you know, I think. But I don't know what they've done, what would you have done about it, but it certainly didn't look good. Yeah. If you were sitting at home, you'd be like, mm. if you're sitting trackside, you'd be wondering what the hell was going on. Yeah, it was a, a very strange set of circumstances with the rain coming in as it yeah. did, and we saw riders in the initial race going out there with slicks and intermediates, then we saw in the initial restart riders changing on to again there was some riders out there on slicks and then we had a big downpour and then it suddenly became you had to be on the wet tyres because yeah. we saw the likes of Manzi was on an inter and then lost his pace in the closing laps Spinelli did well to come away with a podium there was a lot of interesting stuff in Supersport it's going to be worth keeping an eye on it again this weekend and we're, we're talking about Superbike this year and wow look at the entry and all that and it's all completely valid but look at Supersport and we've now seen the Ducati winning. So all the other Ducati guys, and there's a lot of Ducatis in that Supersport class then as well, all thinking, mm, you know, maybe me next time then, because a lot of guys came close last year. So we've got a Honda back. We've got the Yamahas are still fast. Onshu is the only official Kawasaki, but he was he was fast and got himself a, a strong podium on come Sunday, good recovery. Everywhere you look is not just potential, but a lot of proving people. I mean, the, on the TV screen in front of us right now, De Rosa 
is on Ducati. He's already won a race. You know, you, you go down the list, Beluga was the double winner. You go all that way down, you think, so yeah, there's a lot. But when you look at whatever bike they're on, it's nothing but possibilities. Montella won a race last year. He's on a Ducati. Broke his collarbone. You know, and that unfortunate crash with Huertas. Yari was fast all the yeah, way through the tests as well. Yeah. And the Ducati was working well. Jorge Navarro, obviously coming back from a very serious leg injury. Yeah. I found it quite, uh, quite good that whenever I went down to talk to the team on Sunday, they said on Sunday, he suddenly felt like he could string together four or five laps felt a lot more comfortable. They looked at the data and he was doing things that they haven't seen riders do. And considering they had Domi Agutter on the bike for the last couple of years yeah, dominating yeah. the championship, that's going to be cool for them going forward into especially Aston when they've a couple of days testing beforehand. It's just building, you know, and you look at all the, you know, we've got a lot of exciting things. The two uh, Yamaha Thailand guys, there's no reason why one of them's not going to jump forward and, and, and suddenly be one of the top guys by the end of the season. All the way you look through that entry list, again, you think, well, that's great. Bayless, Home round, bit of bad luck, but you know, not run off track at one time. But he looked more like a proper rider and stuff. So he's got to come good someday. He's obviously very talented. Um, and you look all the way through the Triumph didn't have a fantastic Philip Island, but that should be a better bike this year. It's got better stuff on it. Yeah, worth saying as well. Harry True loves scoring points on his debut as well in eleventh spot. Five different manufacturers inside the top five yeah, in yeah. Saturday's race as well. So that always bodes well. So super sport has become a lot more interesting to watch over the last few years. Obviously, this weekend, Gordo, we're in Indonesia. The form book, as it was from Phillip Island, can certainly be thrown out. It's a totally different racetrack. Weather's going to play a big role all the way through this week. So do you have your rain jacket with you? My rain jacket was strapped on my nice uh, Alpine Stars, had it for years, indestructible for some reason, bag that's got external straps. It was strapped on tight. I had even had a crash helmet on riding my scooter this year. Rode in this morning. It's sitting on the edge of my bag, ready for use. Anyway, I nearly left the house without it today, and I suddenly looked out the window and thought, mm, no, remember last year. So I've got a nice blue uh, jacket, waterproof jacket, ready to protect me from the over-fierce air conditioning in the media centre, <laughs> which is quite astonishingly cold. Um, or the hot rain will get outside. You should just bring a bar of soap here. I'll, I'll be honest, Gordo. I, I bring my flip-flops into the track with me each day because you can end up with the showers, big you, floods of water. and You could have, quite happily, have a warm shower here every day without having... Yeah, about three o'clock each day. The water from the sky is, what, is warmer than the water in my hotel. And that's not an exaggeration. Well, as usual, Gordo just shrimping on the costs, but you know, old habits die hard. Yes, no, no, I, uh, no, no, mate. I, I actually walked from the airport to my hotel, which on the map wasn't very far, and twenty minutes later, having gone through taxis and all sorts of stuff, to you know, and no pavements and clambering over bits of jungle, you know, in the centre reservation, it wasn't made for pedestrians. I, and it wasn't I, made for Big Gordo, I imagine. It wasn't made for a large, fat old Scotsman with a really big bag and, a, and, and lots of working equipment on his shoulder. But I survived and I enjoyed it and I slept very well that night. Well, I will say as well, Gordo, we're in the commentary box right now recording this. It's Thursday afternoon. It's 50 degrees track temperature, 32 degrees air temperature, humidity's off the scale, and it's going to be like that all the way through the weekend. So there's, it's going to be really contrasting what we had in Phillip Island critical for a top rack to come through he did the hat trick here last year he won a race in 2020 as well he loves this track 
he needs to win big this week. Yeah, it would be great to see Johnny and Tobrak having great weekends here just to bring things back to Moraine Gale. We want to have a championship fight that isn't over by half season, you know, de facto. Um, and that's the biggest problem we had with Philip Island was they needed to leave 10, 15 points behind behind your man. And, and they didn't. So that rebuilding work has to, to happen now. Because you might not imagine somebody like Locatelli or even Ronaldo will be able to put a, a season-long challenge to Batista. We know that Tobrak and Jonathan could. Yeah, the one thing for them is they have to be perfect all the time. Alvaro doesn't. And yes. that's where this weekend becomes really important. But Gordo, great as ever to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, as ever, a big thank you to everyone that supports the podcast, including Renthal Street, our sponsors for the pod, and also everyone that supports us on Patreon. So check out patreon.com forward slash Paddock Pass podcast. We're going to have a lot of additional content all the way through the year. And uh, for for that we'll have some talking point shows we'll have our paddock notes show from each of the grand prix weekends and uh, lots of content all the way through so check out patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast this episode of the paddock pass podcast was produced by jensen beeler david emmett steve english neil morrison and adam wheeler it was edited by brian burnett music is provided by the liberty all inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com Well, this place will. This place will get proper. Oh, right. That's fine.